This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who speaks and that you speak by your word, by the scriptures. That this word that we look at this morning is God-breathed. It rolls off your lips. Father, help us to submit ourselves to your word. God, we want to believe the truth today. Not the lies that our culture would speak to us, but believe your words. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and convict and shape and change and challenge our thinking and make us more like Jesus. We pray that you would meet us here now. We ask it in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. When I was about 21, I spent a few months unemployed. And that's an interesting process. If you've ever been unemployed, you know what it feels like to have knockback after knockback after knockback for job interviews. I was applying for all of these jobs and for whatever reason, wasn't getting them. I was really discouraged. And so I decided I would just go for it and apply for everything. And so I applied for literally every job that I felt I was qualified to do. And one of the jobs I applied for was photocopy sales, was selling photocopiers. I figured that I'd I'd been in ministry for two years doing a ministry apprenticeship. I'd been trying to sell something that was free, that no one really wanted. It was the good news. And I figured if, if i trying to do that, at least I could probably sell a photocopy that people need. And so I went for this job interview. And um, actually, before the job interview, you have to go through those agencies, those, like, those job agencies. I, I was having all of these interviews at these agencies. And I was turning up, and there would be this like sweet little... 18-year-old girl, just graduated high school, and she's like, so like, tell me what your, your strengths are. And I would tell her, she'd, mm, that's good. I'd be like, my strength is I could do this job better than you. It was so frustrating. But I went to this one interview. I went to the one, this one interview uh, as a photocopy salesperson. It was the best interview I've ever had in my life. I swear the guy interviewing me must have been a psychologist. And he asked me all these questions and I answered. I felt like I was really known. It was just, it was like a wonderful experience for me. Um, and at the end of it, he said, do you have any questions? I said, yeah, I've got a couple. Can you tell me about the quality of your photocopiers? Like where are they made and how long do they last? And is there any sense of inbuilt obsolescence to them? And where do they stand in the market? You know, like, is this the, the creme de la creme of photocopiers or are we selling like junk here? And I began to ask all these questions and he, he stopped me and he said to me, you can't sell a product you don't believe in, can you? And I said, no, I, I guess I can't. That's probably the reason behind these questions. I can't sell a product that I'm not confident in, that I'm offering to customers that is good quality, that is worth their money. And he said to me, you know what, I'm not sure this job is for you. And he said, the reason is that everyone has a photocopier and no one really needs a new one. And the, the photocopy sales business is about trying to sell something to someone that doesn't really need it. I was like, I feel like I've been doing that my whole life. But it struck me, isn't it, that in the same way, if we don't have confidence in the good news of Jesus, if we're not confident in the transforming power of the gospel, we are never going to live that. We're never going to speak that. We're never going to experience that. If we're pessimistic, 
about what the good news can accomplish in our lives and in the life of our city. Why would we ever bother sharing? I was reading some statistics recently from one of the mainstream denominations in our city that said 84% of the people in their denomination became Christians before the age of 18. Now, my guess is that's probably true of most churches in Sydney. 84% of people came to faith by the time they turned 18. That leaves a pretty small percentage of people who come to faith after 18. And and perhaps that's because um, churches have really great youth ministry. That may be true, but it also may be true that Christianity in our city and in our nation is by and large generational. And that what we're really good at doing is discipling the people who are already at church and we're not really good at reaching the people outside of church. And my fear is that for many of us, we've not experienced the transforming power in the gospel for many years. I mean, the last time you saw someone come to faith in Jesus was back in youth ministry and we begin to lose our confidence in the transforming power of the gospel. You add to that, the time in which we live in, a city that is increasingly secular, that pushes our faith and our views to the margins, where we retreat. You you realise that not so long ago, we were just viewed as daggy, that Christians were, you guys are just daggy. Now, we're, we're not daggy, we're actually dangerous. Our views and our ethics are viewed as offensive and dangerous to our culture. At a time where we need the church, desperately need the church to have courageous faith, the temptation for us is to run and to hide and to flee. Now, Paul is not all that unfamiliar with that experience of feeling like he's been pushed to the margins, of feeling like his views are not received by the culture. You realise that Paul preached the good news of Jesus to a predominantly Greek worldview, and the Greek worldview viewed the message of a crucified dead Jew who died on the cross at the hands of Roman soldiers as absolute stupidity and foolishness. So Paul says... He says in 1 Corinthians, my message is foolishness to Greeks and a stumbling block to Gentiles. My audience does not naturally receive this message. You add to that, that when he comes to the church in Corinth, he said, I came in fear and weakness and with much trembling. Paul, his, his opponents said of him in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that he has, his bodily appearance is weak And his speech is unimpressive. That is, he looks like Danny DeVito and he sounds like Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. He, He is unimpressive at every human outward level. You add to that that the church in Rome is tiny, like it most scholars reckon about 1% of the population of the city of Rome. That's a hundred people in a city that was maybe a million. That's like that's like this. This one service here in the whole city of Adelaide, that's the sum total of the Christians in Rome. It's tiny. It's insignificant. It's a blip on the radar. You're in a city here, in the city of Rome, that is the superpower of the Roman Empire, where Caesar sits on the throne and he says, I am God. And Paul brings a message that directly contradicts Caesar's claim. He says, no, Jesus is Lord. And the church that Paul writes to is fractured and disunified. You kind of get the picture here of the context that Paul is speaking the good news into. In fact, here in Romans, he will say, I'm not ashamed. 
Now, why would he say that if that were not a real temptation for him to be ashamed of this message that he preaches? And yet, despite all of these circumstances, despite all of the evidence that lies in front of Paul, he is bold, he is courageous, and he has what I want to call this morning, missional swagger. Missional swagger. It's this, this confidence about him that defies every single reality and circumstance in front of him. Missional swagger. In verse 11 and 12, Paul will say that, that he is expectant to come and encourage and strengthen the church. That he's expectant to come and reap a harvest among them as the good news is proclaimed. Paul will come and say in verse 15 that he is eager to preach the good news, that he is unashamed of the gospel. And my question is, why? Like as, I, as I read that, I think to myself, if I'm, if I'm honest, I don't have that type of confidence. I want, I want some missional swagger in my life. How does Paul get this? I don't know if your experience has been somewhat similar to mine. I remember a couple of years ago, I was catching the train home from work and I was reading C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity on the train. And uh, as I was reading it, I was, I was sitting in the, the end seats that face each other. You know, those, those little ones at the end next to the stairs. I'm sitting there and the lady opposite me says, hmm, that's an interesting book. And I peered over my book and I looked at her, half freaking out, and I said, yeah, it is. And then went back to reading my book. And in my head, I'm like, give her the book, give her the book. And I was like, just at the end of the chapter, I was like, I'll finish the chapter and then I'll give her the book. And I swear the Spirit of God saying, give me the book, give her the book, give her the book. I'm like, I'll give her the book in a second. And then we stop at, I think it was Gordon Station and she gets off and she walks out. And in my head, I was like, ah, oh, I missed this opportunity. But then I thought to myself, hang on a second, why would she ask me about the book? She's probably a Christian herself. And in her head, she's probably saying, ask him another question, ask him another question. And two of us here, two Christians sitting on a train opposite each other, too scared to say anything. Or I don't know if, um, if you've ever been door knocking. I did a ministry apprenticeship many years ago. And one of the things we had to do was door knocking. And I hated door knocking. We would walk around the suburbs of near our church and uh, you would literally just walk up to a stranger's door, knock on the door and say, hi, we're from the local church. Can we talk to you about Jesus? And I was freaking out about doing this. For the most part, I walked down the driveway and I was praying, God, please let this person not be home. And then I felt bad for praying, asking that God wouldn't let them be home. And I said, oh, I just hope that they're not home. Maybe I'll pray. I just hope that they're not home. I don't want them to be home. And, I was so thankful when they said, no, thanks, we're not interested, close the doors. Like, that was polite and civil. Let's get to the next house. Let's get this over and done. I mean, has anyone else had that experience of being afraid, of being timid, of perhaps even being ashamed of this message that we bring? As I read of Paul and his confidence, I think to myself, I want that. I want more missional swagger in my life. So my question this morning is, how? How does Paul have this confidence? Where does this come from in his ministry and in his life? Because I believe that every single one of us today can take a step of courage, can take a step of boldness. And so I want to look at the source of Paul's confidence this morning because he says there in chapter, six, in chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed. Where does that come from? Let's have a look again at verse 15 and 16. Paul says, so I am eager 
to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The good news, the gospel is where word and power collide together. Where word and power collide. This is power in verbal form. As you speak of the good news of Jesus, this is the power of God. Now, I think we're all familiar with the concept of words carrying power. We, we know that, right? The, the power of words destructively. You remember the, the little kindergarten rhyme? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. That's, that's not true. We know how harmful words can be, words that are destructive to our souls from those who perhaps have loved us or should have loved us. And yet we also know the positive power of words. You think of your favorite song, the lyrics to that song that just seem to be the life track to your, the soundtrack to your life. It just breathes life into you. It inspires you. It encourages you. Or, or the power of words in some of the most famous speeches that we have heard. You think of Kevin Rudd's apology speech to the indigenous people of our nation. You think of Nelson Mandela's speech as he was released from prison in 1994. Speeches, words that have the power to change countries and change even the world. Words have power. But the good news here, the gospel is powerful in a different way. It's not just powerful to affect our psychology. It's not just powerful to affect the tone of a nation and the way it operates. The, the good news here is powerful to change our spirit, to change our eternity, to change our forever. The good news here can move someone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to move someone who is spiritually dead and breathe life into them. It's powerful. It's the power that Paul experienced on the Damascus Road as Jesus met him there and radically altered the direction of his life. It's the power that I experienced at 17 as Jesus invaded my heart with his grace. And it's the power behind every story of baptism in our church. The power to transform. The power to change people from the inside out. It's the type of power that the church experienced in Thessalonica. Remember what Paul says to the church there? In chapter 1, verse 5, he says this, Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The, the gospel is our words accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's powerful, not because the words Jesus died for your sins are superstitiously magic. It's powerful because as we speak it, the Spirit illuminates, the Spirit transforms, the Spirit awakens, the Spirit moves, the Spirit acts. It's powerful because it is accompanied by the Holy Spirit. It's why I'm always amazed that people even come to faith during door knocking. Like it's the most invasive form of speaking the good news you could think of, and yet somehow people still come to faith when some random stranger knocks on their door and says, can I tell you about Jesus? 
It's why I'm amazed that anyone ever came to faith in some of my early sermons as a young youth leader back in the day. I go back and look at some of these sermons. I'm thinking, what was I thinking? This message is horrendous. Sometimes I even think to myself, yeah, I'll, I've got this sermon that I preached a long time ago. I'll just dust the covers off. I'll re-preach that one. And I go back to it the day before I'm supposed to preach. And I'm like, this sermon is horrendous. I've got to start again. It's a miracle to think that God would use my feeble, stumbling, awkward, unprepared words because it's not necessarily about the medium, it's about the message. It's about the Spirit illuminating. This good news has power. So Paul is not ashamed. He's not ashamed of the good news because it is the power of God. It's the power of God. And when you think about it, why would we be ashamed? Why would we be ashamed of something that brings such good news? Like, why would we be ashamed of something that brings hope to someone who is hopeless? That brings sight to someone who is blind? That brings freedom to someone who is trapped and enslaved? That brings direction to someone who is lost in purposelessness? Who brings family to the orphan and life to the dead? Why would we be ashamed when our message does all of that? The good news is powerful to transform. And so when we stop and consider that the gospel actually is good news, it's not bad news for our city, right? This message is not bad news for Sydney. It's good. It's good news. It achieves good things. It's the power of God to transform. Why are we ashamed? It is the exclusive solution to the universal problem of humanity. The exclusive solution to the universal problem of humanity. There is nothing to be ashamed in this good news message. I wonder what it would look like if we actually believed that to be true. And if you've ever encountered a salesperson and you begin to talk to them and ask them about the product that they're selling and you find out that they personally would never buy it. I mean, are you going to buy that product knowing that the person who knows more about it than you doesn't endorse it, doesn't use it, doesn't live it? Never. If we truly believe this, if this is really true, then we should speak it. We will speak it because we believe this has the potential to absolutely radically change someone's life. So Paul is not ashamed because this is the power of God. That's the first reason for his missional swagger, his confidence. The second is that the message that Paul preaches is open to everyone and is received by faith. It's a message that's open to all, received by faith. Come back to verse 16 with me. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it, or because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, verse 17 there, many scholars believe, is Paul's summary statement of the whole book of Romans. It's kind of like his his theme verse 
for the whole book. And there has been so much penned on just this verse and what it means. I don't have time to unpack it all. But I'm going to post a a couple of articles in our uh, family Facebook page this week. If you want to do some extra digging on what the righteousness of God is and what Paul means here, then, then we would love you to dig into that and do some extra research and reading. But what I want to draw out here is that Paul understands the message that he preaches. His confidence doesn't just come from the effect that the good news has, that it's powerful to change. His confidence also comes from the scope of this message, that it is inclusive of everyone who has faith in Jesus. The message that Paul preaches is that God makes us right. He makes us right by faith. It's got nothing to do with race. It's got nothing to do with moral superiority. It's got nothing to do with performance. It's about faith. It's about grace. It's the scandalous truth that the perfect, holy, and righteous God accepts sinful people on the basis of the death of Jesus on the cross on their behalf. And the only thing that is required of anyone is trust, is faith, is belief. We believe that the ground at the foot of the cross is flat that there is no first-class ticket to heaven, that there are no fine print. There's no fine print. There's no terms and conditions to the good news here. It is received freely by all by faith. The good news saves everyone who believes, it says there. That's the same word. Belief, faith, trust, anyone who has faith. It's the same for the Jews. It's the same for the Greeks. That's, that's a way of saying those who are ethnically Jewish and those who are culturally Greek, basically everyone else. It is true for everyone. On equal terms, we believe on the name of Jesus. This is an equal opportunity message. Anyone can come and trust in Jesus. It's the exclusive solution to the universal problem of humanity, and it is open to all. The exclusive solution to the universal problem of humanity, and it is open to all, to anyone who would believe on the name of Jesus. That means that the good news is always on point. It's never last season. There isn't a single person who doesn't need to hear it, and there isn't a single person who cannot receive it by faith. That gives Paul confidence in his message. As he speaks, he knows that even though his audience may not be warm to his message, even though their worldview might be completely contrary to the message that he preaches, he knows that every single person that he speaks to needs to hear this and can receive it and be saved. That gives him confidence. I want to say if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus the thing you need to hear most, the thing you need to know most and experience most is the good news of Jesus, that he has died in your place and for your sin, for every rejection, for every rebellion. He has died for us because we lived a life as if God did not exist. And he came and he took our punishment and our penalty. And then he gifts us his perfect obedience and says, let's do an exchange I will take your mess. I will give you my perfect obedience. And I will pay for your sins. I will pay for your mistakes and set you free. That is the most important message that you could hear this week, this year, in your life. 
because it will shape and change your eternity. This good news ought to give great confidence because it is powerful to change and because it is open to all to be received by faith. That's why Paul has missional swagger. That's why he's strutting because he knows this about the message that he has. And so if this is true, if Romans 1.16 is true and not just a memory verse that we all memorize in youth group, what does it actually mean for us if the good news is the power of God for salvation, if in it the righteousness of God is revealed by faith? What does that mean for us? Well, I think it means that we ought to want people to hear this message. We ought to be confident and expectant about it. It means we ought to be intentional about bringing people to introducing Jesus, about inviting people to your GC dinner parties, about bringing people to services like Easter and Christmas and whatever other opportunities we have. I think it means we're intentional about a practice like five for five. You know, the, the reason that we do five for five is because so often we have good intentions and very little practical application of how to put those intentions into practice in our lives. Five for five is a very simple step about how to be intentional with this. If we believe this, it means we do it. Now, I'm not expecting every single person in this room to go tomorrow and pull out a milk crate in your office and stand up and say, everyone, I have some good news to declare to you. Like, I, I, I recognise that there are only a few people who will ever possibly do that. But I think that every single one of us can take a small step this morning. That every single one of us can take a step of faith, can take a step towards boldness, can take a step of courage and walk like Paul with a strut, with missional swagger because of what our message can accomplish. Do you believe this church? Do you believe that the good news is God's power to save? We ought to because we've seen it before our very eyes. Earlier this year, sorry, later last year, we got to baptise uh, Andrew from the Kenzo GC. And I've asked Andrew if I can share a bit of his testimony this morning, a beautiful testimony that he shared in the baptism waters last year. This is what he said. I hope that my journey, which has seen me shift from a fervent atheist to now someone who proudly calls himself a follower of Christ, is proof that even the once most deeply held belief doesn't compare to God's awesome power. Although I am still a work in progress, I can happily say I cannot recognise the version of me from before I accepted Christ into my life. Friends, that right there is the power of God to transform someone's life. What's going to save your friend, your neighbour, your colleague, your family member, your mum, your dad, your brother, your sister, but the good news of Jesus that He has set them free. There's a beautiful quote from Jim Elliot that I felt really fitting for the tone of where we find ourselves in, in this cultural moment. And it says this, Many Christians estimate difficulty in light of their own resources, and thus they attempt very little and always fail. But all giants have been weak men and women who did great things for God because they reckoned on His power and His presence to be with them. This is David who faced off Goliath 
knowing that God was present and that His power was for him. This is Joshua who stood on the edge of the promised land, fearful, and God said to him, do not be afraid for I am with you. This is Paul who writes to Timothy, timid Timothy and says, do not be ashamed because you have been given a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. This is the power of God. All giants of the faith who have been weak men and women who did great things for God because they reckoned on His power and presence to be with them. That's what Jesus promised, isn't it? In the Great Commission, I'm sending you to go and make disciples and surely I'll be with you always. And the message we preach is powerful to save. My prayer is that for anyone here this morning who is feeling the squeeze of secular culture, who is feeling ashamed, who is feeling timid, that today we would have a little bit of swag in our step, a little bit of strut in our step because of this truth about the good news that we proclaim.